The Bible reading today is from Isaiah 35, verses 1 to 10, and that can be found on page 719 of the Church Bibles. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there, it will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it, wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Lord, I pray that you'd come by your spirit, that you would help me to speak, and that you would give us all ears to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Yesterday, I stood in a queue for a newspaper over there in Coronation Square at the newsagents, Because I wanted to see what uh, the the newspapers had to say about the world just two weeks before Christmas. Was there any chance that I would read of good news and hope and joy and the wonder of this Advent time, expectancy and preparation for Christmas? Well, okay, you probably think I'm mad and you're right. (laughs) Because what I read of was... A scandal over cash for places at top schools, council tax to rise by more than twice the rate of inflation, the French threatening to punish the British for Brexit, more about the ever-increasing ghastly sexual abuse scandals in sport and elsewhere, council budgets in freefall, hospital waiting times, rail strikes, and finally, yes, another alleged rift within the royal family. It was all far too predictable and too sad. I didn't find any messages 
of hope and love and joy. And what's more, I had to stand in the queue for a very long time. And to begin with, I I wondered why. And then I realised that everybody was queuing up to buy national lottery tickets. And as I stood there, I, I began to put the two things together. On the one hand, a group of people queuing to buy newspapers full of bad news. And on the other hand, a group of people queuing to buy a lottery ticket with perhaps the allure of future hope and good news. And yet, if we're honest, we all know two things about the lottery. One is, we'll never win the jackpot. (laughs) And secondly, even if we did, it's actually unlikely to make us happy. As the actor Jim Carrey once said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so that they would know that's not the answer. But if that's not the answer, what is? What do we need as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, in order to lead lives of hope and joy in a world full of uncertainty, anxiety and a lot of darkness? Like that bombing in Turkey we've just heard about. A lot of darkness. And actually, in one sense, of course, the answer is simple. Because as Christians, we should know where to go and find good news. On every page of Scripture, there are answers to life's big questions. And today is no exception. So let's look at Isaiah 35, our reading this morning, and see if there are some clues as to how we might become people of light and hope and joy in a dark world. Well, a bit of context. The prophet Isaiah is speaking into the life of the people of Israel at a time of great uncertainty for them, great anxiety, particularly about the superpower from the East that was threatening their very existence. And actually, chapters 34 and 35 go together. Um, Israel, Israel is in turmoil. The northern kingdom has already been exiled. The southern kingdom, Judah, including Jerusalem, is under threat of exile, and it will soon be completely overrun by the Assyrian Empire. And in the previous chapter, chapter 34, verse 2, God, speaking through the prophet, sums up his view of the world. He says... The Lord is angry with all nations. His wrath is upon all their armies. And you know what? I think that's a good word for today, perhaps. I think he might say say the same thing, looking at the world today. In the Middle East, in Africa, in Eastern Europe, I think the Lord might say that he's angry with all nations, that his wrath is upon all their armies. The people of Judah at this time were a little bit like some of those, perhaps some of those, queuing for lottery tickets. They had no alternative vision of future hope and joy and had turned to betting their future on foreign gods and appeasing their enemies and they were somewhat like sheep without a shepherd. And that's why the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and so on were so important because they gave a prophetic vision from God which was able to give people hope, even at a time when destruction by their enemies and the threat of exile was bearing down on them. 
And chapter 34, the previous chapter, is all about judgment and punishment and the coming destruction of Edom. Edom, in fact, was a, was a particular territory south of the Dead Sea. But much more than that, it was a kind of prophetic metaphor for God's final judgment of the whole world. And it was used 700 years later by Jesus, who quotes Isaiah 34 concerning the impending destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. So chapter 34 is bleak. But on the other side of the coin is the chapter we heard read this morning by Paul, chapter 35, which is a beautiful description about the restoration that will happen when God restores the nation of Israel to his people. And although Jesus is not specifically mentioned, this is also a prophetic picture of God's salvation through Jesus Christ and a foretaste of his healing love for us and for for the world. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Martin Luther once said, Scripture is the manger in which the Christ lies. And chapter 35 can be divided, if you like, into into four parts. The first part, verses 1 and 2, is all about transformation. That after the destruction comes restoration. And this is the shape of Christian hope. Despair turning to hope. Death turning to new life. Parched lands becoming fruitful. The desert turning into blossom. You know why Lebanon and Carmel and Sharon are mentioned in these first two verses? Because Lebanon was famous for its hugely tall and fragrant cedar trees. Carmel was renowned for its mighty oak trees. Sharon was celebrated for its flowers and rich pastures. And that imagery wouldn't have been lost on those who heard the words of Isaiah. The transformation which the prophet was describing from desert to this was staggering. He was saying that the blessings of God's redeemed people would ultimate, that, that God's redeemed people would ultimately receive were unimaginable. And the New Testament writers hold out exactly the same promise to you and to me. Paul the Apostle writes, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So as we worry over the state of the world, or the state of our finances, or the state of our relationships, the prophet is saying, see what lies ahead. Be encouraged. Know that however hard things may seem in the present, transformation will come. And verses 3 and 4 tell us how it will come about. And they're all about faith and trust. As we contemplate the hard stuff, perhaps making the first move to restore a relationship, praying for someone who we don't feel inclined to pray for, daring to become a generous giver, whatever it may be, the prophet says in effect, it won't be easy, but you can do it. In verse 3 he says, be strengthened, because he knows that we have feeble hands and weak knees. He says, don't fear, because he knows we have fearful hearts. What if I try and fail? Then I'll feel really bad about myself. Let me tell you about one of the things that I struggled with in my Christian walk. Something 
I didn't really want to deal with at all. And that was a personal battle with alcohol. Let me be clear about this. I never drank that much alcohol, at least not in the league of modern-day binge drinkers. In fact, I dislike most strong drink. But for most of my life, I drank some alcohol every single day. But the problem was, it never did me any good. It messed up my sleep pattern, it made me grumpy in the morning, it made me tired during the day, even if it was only a glass or two or three of wine or a couple of pints of beer. And the worst thing was, I noticed that when I drank, the Holy Spirit disappeared, like switching off a light. The moment the alcohol started to take effect, he was gone. And I cannot tell you how many times God, through his word and his spirit's prompting, had told me to give it up. My old journals are full of references to this struggle. And I stopped for short periods of time, I stopped for long periods of time, but I kept coming back to it right up to a couple of years ago. But whenever I did, it was like a fog descending again. My prayer life dried up, I couldn't move forward with God. And so in the end, one morning, I just said to Kirsty, this is ridiculous. I asked her to pray with me that God would lift it right off me, that he'd give me the strength and the courage to simply leave it behind. And the good news is he has. Now, I do want to say that I'm not someone that thinks that Christians should never drink alcohol. Jesus did. And many people are able to drink in moderation or on occasion without it preventing them having a good, strong relationship with God. But there may be one or two people here this morning who recognise what I'm saying. And perhaps you've been struggling with that or something like it as well. And if that's you, why not choose today to ask God to give you the courage to tackle it Why not come up for prayer ministry afterwards? Come and ask someone to pray with you. So the prophet Isaiah is right. It's not easy to stand strong against the forces that are thrown against us. We need strengthening, but most of all we need God, not our coping mechanisms. So if your battle is that you're struggling to forgive someone, if you're battle is internet pornography, if it's wrong relationships, if it's overeating, that whatever it is, then ask somebody to stand with you. Ask someone to pray with you and make you accountable. Do whatever it takes to obey the call of God on your life. It really is worth it. Why? Because the third part of this chapter is about healing. Verse 5, the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer and the mute will shout for joy. This is the healing that Jesus brings. You know, when John the Baptist's disciples asked Jesus at John's insistence if he really was the Messiah, Jesus had said, go and tell him, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the deaf hear. And this passage this morning, looks forward to that healing power that Jesus would bring. When we obey God's voice and we repent 
and we sweep out of the way the things that he wants us to leave behind, we find healing. And I found healing when I grasped the nettle. I now sleep well. I have a clear head, well, on a good day. At the age of 58, I'm probably fitter than I've ever been at any time in my life. But most importantly, when I get on my knees in the morning, there isn't this cloud hanging over my head, creating a barrier between me and God. It's something good to remember. Healing doesn't just come through wonderful miracles, wonderful that they are. It also comes through listening to what God is saying, even if it takes a while, and actually putting it into practice. And what we find when we listen to what God is saying is an open road and unlimited possibilities, which very neatly leads us to the fourth part of this chapter, the highway of holiness, verse 8. There are so many different metaphors in Scripture Jesus called it the narrow road. He also called himself the way. Long after Jesus had returned to his heavenly father, the early Christians became known as the people of the way. And that imagery may well stem back to this chapter from Isaiah. And the point is, it's hard to walk down the way if we've left a whole lot of obstacles lying in our path, waiting to trip us up. This is the good news about repentance. When we actually do it, life just gets better. We move forward. And it's important to realise that the highway of holiness is not a road only for the super spiritual. The good news is, it's the road marked out for all who follow Jesus. And the journey is a lot more fun and transformational and fruitful if we deal with the obstacles before attempting to walk down it. Imagine a church in which every single person had removed every single obstacle in their relationship with God. Imagine a church free of absolutely everything that it holds on to too preciously. Imagine a church full of people who are full of the Holy Spirit and full of nothing other than a passion to join in with what God has got planned for the months and years ahead. That would be an awesome church. Over the last five years since coming to St. Matthew's, it's been such a joy and a privilege to see the Spirit breathing new life and faith into the church. And as we approach the end of another year, it's often a time we get some wonderful little reminders, snippets of how God has been at work, particularly through Christmas cards. This is a card from a young teenage girl to Pads and Kirsty. Thank you very much for welcoming me into the St. Matthew's family and helping grow and helping me to grow and build a relationship with God. Hope you have a wonderful day. (laughs) It's lovely, isn't it? God at work in young people's lives from a young teenager. One man on the Alpha course um, this term said that before he came to St. Matthew's, he used to say the Lord's Prayer from time to time. But now... He talks to God all the time. He talks to him every day. 
Isn't that great? That's the relationship forming and deepening. Another card that we got this week was from a young woman who joined the church in the last sort of 12 months or so. Dear Pads and Kirsty, thank you so much for welcoming me into St. Matthew's the way you have. I have already grown so much this term. God bless you both. Isn't that beautiful? And Kirsty and I have received the cards, but we've not been personally discipling these people. That's the work of the body of Christ, or God's Spirit working through you, the body of Christ at St. Matthew's, pouring out his love into people's hearts, bringing that transformation, that joy of the redeemed that Isaiah writes about, of hope and love and healing and restoration that we find as we choose to walk down the highway of holiness. This Advent, let's take a moment to consider how we're walking. Amen.